Good morning. You may be seated. Do you know what Sunday it is today? Yes, it's Mother's Day, and that's wonderful, of course. Let's give the mothers a round of applause right now. And um, all women who have at some point in their lives played a motherly role to someone. So we thank you and applaud you as well. But now let's switch into church calendar mode, uh, out of Hallmark to church calendar. Um, it's the fourth Sunday of Easter, which is always... Good Shepherd Sunday. So it is our patronal feast day today, and I am excited. What does it mean to say that God is a good shepherd, that Jesus is our good shepherd? A good shepherd, historically, our church is known, was known for the healing ministry, and uh, that hasn't been prominent until recent days when we begin to see some divine healing happening because uh, some of us are very actively pursuing to see that. And I would just share with you a couple of, of several different testimonies. We've seen, seen someone healed of foot pain, and we've seen someone healed of knee pain, and we've seen healing in sciatica. Uh, we've seen some healing in the inner ear. We've seen healing happening, folks. And so I'm excited that this is going to be a place once again where we not only come to church just to hear some Bible instruction and sing some songs, but they, we would impress, we would encounter the living presence of the Good Shepherd and walk away changed every Sunday. And I believe that that is a calling that the Lord has on this church in particular. I have a deep conviction about that. More stories to come. Now, I've had some requests from different people um, to do some teaching on healing. And um, I want to honor that request and at the same time honor the readings that were given in the lectionary. So over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing some teaching from the pulpit, um, doing my doing as best I can without like twisting the readings to try to fit them into what I want to say. But today happens to be a wonderful day to talk about uh, divine healing and the supernatural touch of Jesus to make people whole. So let's start in John chapter 10. If you want to look in your bulletin or if you have your Bible with you uh, today, because I encourage bringing your own Bible to church. There's something about that um, that gives you ownership of that and allows you to flip back and forth in the scriptures and to uh, keep up with me as I'm going back and forth. It's very powerful. So why in John 10, first of all, which is the famous Good Shepherd passage, and we just get a little snippet at the end of it today, but why does Jesus use the imagery of a shepherd to describe himself? Now, this is going to blow your mind if you didn't know this. I want to read you from something from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34. Um, God was speaking to Israel and he was giving a rebuke to the leadership of Israel who had neglected the people and their needs and instead had become uh, fat and happy on the luxuries at the, ex- at the expense of the people. And God comes to them and says, I'm going to bring swift justice, but here's what he says, which is hope for those who have been wounded and exploited by abusive leaders. This is what the Lord Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. 
This is the God of Israel saying, I will return to shepherd my sheep myself. Do you see why Jesus uses the image of a shepherd to describe himself? The God of Israel is visiting, and yet we have a lot of skeptics. Let's look at the passage, John chapter 10. It was the festival of the dedication. Do you know what that is? Also known as Hanukkah. Close. Hanukkah. It's what we call Hanukkah today. And so that's a, it, it, just a side note. Hanukkah is a celebration of, uh, the anniversary of the cleansing of the temple that had been defiled in 164 BC by a bad guy. So, okay, it's a big, it's a big deal. There's lots of uh, Jews in Jerusalem celebrating. And Jesus is walking around the temp- temple. And some Jews come at him and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, do you think this is actually a genuine desire to hear Jesus proclaim who he is? No way. It's like sarcasm. If you look at the Greek, the sense of it is um, something more along the lines of, for how much longer do you intend to annoy and provoke us? Just, just say who you think you are because why they want to get him arrested and get him, get him done, done, be done away with him, get him done away with. Okay. So they're sarcastic. They're interrogating him and Jesus answers them. I have told you, I have told you, but if you read John's John chapter one up to this point, there's no place where Jesus has come out and said, I'm the Messiah. I'm God's guy. Just believe in me. He's never said that. In fact, he's told people to be quiet about the fact who realize it. So why would he say, I have told you? Well, look at what he says next. The works that I do in my father's name testify to me. Now, many scholars and many people over the course of Christian history have claimed that this means that Jesus primarily and simply merely did miracles to prove, to prove that he was divine. And I want to tell you that I think that's mistaken. I think that's part of it. I think it reveals his identity. It's clear that it does. But there's more to the story, friends. There's so much more to the story. There's two problems with a common misunderstanding that he did miracles to prove he was the Messiah to get the message out. There's two problems. There's two problems with that. And the first is this. He often took, you're going to see where I'm going with this, so stay with me. The first problem is this. He often told people not to speak about what he had done, what he had done for them and healing them because he didn't want the message getting out because he didn't want a premature uproar about who he was, nor did he want widespread misunderstanding about the role of the Messiah. So if he did miracles to get people to believe he was the Messiah, it's a contradiction to when he says, don't tell anybody what I did for you, right? He actually tries to keep it private sometimes. The second problem with that claim is that if he wanted to prove to the religious authorities that he was the Messiah, he would have avoided healing on the Sabbath because it was a violation of the law. But by healing in the synagogues on Sabbath, he demonstrated that his compassion for healing the sick was a stronger motivation for his actions than proving his identity to the religious leaders. It's very important when we think about healing miracles that Jesus did 
to clear up a common misconception. This is very, very prevalent in the church, in the church today. And some of us have probably thought this way. And we thought that God might occasionally heal someone supernaturally, like maybe a little bit here and there, but it's either not of primary importance to him or he sends sickness as a cross to bear so that a person can learn to trust him through their suffering. Guess what? That's unbiblical. And I'm going to say more about that in weeks to come. Now, listen, just think about this. Do you ever, if you've read through the Gospels, do you ever read about someone coming to Jesus for healing and Jesus saying, nope, sorry, bucko, that's your cross to bear. Just trust in God, because at least you get to go to heaven when you die. Does he ever say anything like that? C.S. Lewis said, the more we believe that God hurts only to heal, the less we can believe that there is any use in begging for tenderness. Jesus healed everyone who came to him in faith. He healed everyone. You see, friends, the lack of supernatural healing that the modern church experiences is not a problem of reluctance on God's end, but a problem of faith on our end. We lack faith in God's compassion and need to work at cultivating that kind of miracle-working faith. He's not tight-fisted with his grace and with his ability to heal. And the Father's will is to foster faith in us for healing. Constantly, Jesus says to people, your faith has healed you. And to have that kind of faith, you have to have a proper understanding of God, that he is good, that he is a compassionate father who desires to heal. And if you don't get healed the first time or the fifth time that you get prayed for, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to heal you. There's a lot of factors when it comes to faith and healing on our side of the equation. And those are some of the things we're going to learn about in the weeks to come. Are you excited? I'm excited. (laughs) Because I'm learning as we go. Let me read something to you from, if you have a Bible, you can turn turn over there. This is Matthew chapter 8. There's all kinds of passages like these all over the Gospels, but this is good as any other. We read this. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured a few who were sick. No, it doesn't say that. He cured all who were sick. Then Matthew tells us this. This is big. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is from, this is another version of Isaiah chapter 53. It says this, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. Jesus died to make us whole to cleanse and free us from sin and sickness. 
and disease and demonization and depression and anxiety and all of those things. He died to make us whole. He took care of it right on the cross. And Matthew tells us Isaiah talked about this when he talked about the suffering servant who was going to come. You see, so if Jesus paid the price for our healing, it's a matter of figuring out on our end how to claim that healing in faith and to believe and to pursue it wholeheartedly because God does not lie and he does not hold back on his promises. See? I want to just make a suggestion. And it's this. The reason we don't see more supernatural healing is not because God is tight-fisted with his healing power or that he's only concerned with our souls and not our bodies, but because we have stopped believing what God says in his word about his desire to heal the sick. This is a sickness that, that pervades the modern church, especially in the Western world. Part of it is because we're just distracted. We'd rather just do other stuff than, than take hold of these promises. When Jesus says, your faith has healed you, he exhorts us to work on our faith. You see, faith, some people have believed that faith is uh, like the working up of emotions or the, the it's like a working up of something intellectually. But faith is a, is a decision. It's, made, it's, a, it's a willful decision to have faith. And so it's on our end to cultivate faith because God is showing us, showing us, he has shown us that he's a compassionate father who desires to heal. Now, watch this. See, you have to believe that God wants to heal you before you can be healed. And it's hard to get there sometimes because some of us have been told otherwise. And some of us have been have been uh, told by other people that God doesn't want that for us or that we're cursed or some other kind of nonsense like that. Sickness comes from the evil one because it came into the world when sin and death came into the world. Now, I'm not going to say much today about this. Can sin be at the cause of sickness? Well, yes, it can be. Because you, if you are an alcoholic for 40 years, you're probably going to get cirrhosis of the liver. Right. There is things that lead to disease and sickness in the body that we're responsible for. Now, Jesus never went to anybody and said, before you before I heal you, um, you need to go deep inside and introspect and figure out what sin caused this. No, he heals them. And sometimes he says things like now go and don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Right. He said that to the to the blind uh, man or to the man at the at the at the pool who was wanting to get in the pool for healing. But he doesn't hold back his healing before that, right? He heals and then he says, go and and live a life of freedom and freedom from sin and from things that lead to sickness and death and and disease. Now, um, you have to, I said, you have to believe that God wants to bring healing to actually be healed. This is very, very central to our understanding of healing. It's like, and you want to know the heavenly father's position on divine healing, then look at Jesus. What does Jesus do? He heals everybody. Okay? He doesn't turn anybody away who comes to him for healing in faith. Jesus says in our passage today, the Father and I are one. That's not only a statement about his identity of, or his divinity, but it also implies that they are unified in their mission, which is to bring salvation, body, mind, and spirit to the peoples of the world. 
In John chapter 14, which is a wonderful chapter where you want, that you want to read through on your own time this week to see where Jesus talks about how he reveals the Father. He says this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. What are his works? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the demonized are set free. That is the work of the Father in and through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is a work, that a ministry that has been handed on to the church. You see, Peter, this is, I said it's been handed on to the church, and you see this right through the book of Acts. It just continues. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and power upon the disciples, and little rash Peter, unbelieving Peter, denying Peter, who's just been a, a bumbling uh, guy, becomes this spirit-filled man who preaches the gospel with strength and calls people to account to come to Jesus Christ. He also has powerful deeds of miracles and healing, as we just read in Acts chapter 9. Peter raising Dorcas from the dead is an example that the church was to continue from the very first days to continue on to carry on the ministry of Jesus. Because by the Holy Spirit, Jesus delegates his power and authority to his church to carry on his ministry of proclaiming forgiveness of sins, but also laying on the hands. He says, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You will cast out demons. You will cleanse the lepers, right? So he gives us the power and the authority to do that. Now, why does, did you ever wonder why does Peter clear out the room when he, before he raises Dorcas from the dead? Peter knows this is gonna be a big faith miracle to raise someone from the dead, okay? Has anybody raised anyone from the dead in here? <laughs> Maybe if you're a doctor and you were doing something, but it's a, it's a big miracle. It's a, it's a big miracle that requires great faith. And Peter's got a room full of women who are weeping over the dead body, and he knows that they're focused on the power of death and that there's not going to be faith in the room for her to be raised from the dead. And so what does he do? He clears out the environment so that there's not a lack of faith in the atmosphere and the environment, and he goes to her alone and raises her from the dead because he's a spirit-filled man who knows he has the power and authority of Jesus to raise someone from the dead. And then he invites them back in, and they're like, ah, it's amazing. You know what Tabitha's Treasures is one of our ministries? That's where this that comes from in this passage. We um, knit chemo caps and prayer shawls and things like that for people in need in the hospital with sickness. It comes from this passage because it said that Tabitha had sewn many garments and they show they were showing him all the linen she had made and it said she was a woman of good deeds and charity. That's where the idea comes from for Tabitha's Treasures. It's a little side note for you about one of our ministries. Okay, we get to look at all the passages today. Lastly, Revelation chapter 7. Everyone tracking with me? We awake? Does Jesus heal today? Does Jesus heal today? Yes. Okay. Look at the Revelation passage. We are uh, going towards the end of this vision. John has a vision, and I love this a multitude of nations from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay? God is not about one race. Let us never make that mistake. Okay, let us never, ever make that grievous, sinful mistake. There is a multitude of nations. It's a beautiful, it's a multicultural worship event in heaven, okay? Heaven is an eternity of multicultural, joyful, celebratory worship. And there are peoples, multitudes and multitudes of people gathered around and the angels are there and they're gathered around the Lamb. And then uh, starting in verse 13, which is a little ways down in the passage, John uh, says this, 
Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows. He's like, yeah, thanks for that, like, quite that, like, trick question. Like, I'm supposed to know. And then he said to him, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal or some a passage uh, translation say tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So these, these are, these worshipers are, some people think they're just martyrs and some people think they're just anybody who has remained faithful uh, to the Lord on their time of earth in the face of temptation and persecution in their life. If you don't find yourself occasionally through your life being tempted either because of persecution or someone making fun of you or someone trying to present you an argument to believe something else than Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and that salvation is in his name alone, then, then you might need to reconsider where your faith is at because you will full, feel the pull if you are walking out a life of faith in Jesus. You'll feel the pull of the world to pull you away from that. And that's the work of the enemy to pull people away from the kingdom. Now, thankfully, on Jesus' end, he keeps a hold of us on his end because he says in John chapter 10, no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. Okay, But he does give us free will and freedom. And so... Um, These are people who have been faithful, many of them having faced deep persecution and probably lost their lives because they stayed faithful to Jesus in the face of death, which uh, did you, I just read this statistic the other day. There are um, a few hundred thousand people a year. It's a rough statistic today that still give their lives for Jesus that are martyrs that die or killed because of the name of Jesus, a few hundred thousand. So it's no small thing that we get to gather in freedom and safety. So they're worshiping the Lord. And they've, wa- they've, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Kind of seems funny, doesn't it? Like if you get blood on something, it stains it and makes it like a brownish color if it's white. But this symbolic, obviously, right? Because they have trusted in the cross for the cleansing of their sin and they have remained true to the lamb of God, who is Jesus. Now, look how God, the Lord of heaven and earth, handles them when they are in the fullness of his presence in the heavenly realm. Look at how he handles them. They're sheltered. Let's just read it. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. They clearly lived in Florida. And heaven is not going to be, there's no place, hear me, there's no place in heaven for brutal Florida summers, okay? But listen to this, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I ask you this. If this is the image of God in his glory in heaven, a shepherd who wipes away suffering and pain from his faithful ones, should our image of him on earth be any different? It would be a contradiction to believe so. So, I wanted to lay some groundwork today 
for looking at Jesus as the good shepherd who fulfills the prophetic word that the Lord God gave that he would come and visit his own people as a shepherd who would bind up their wounds and heal their diseases and who, according to Isaiah, would die for their infirmities and diseases to show that the Father of heaven and earth desires to make people whole to free us from sin, from the the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin, but also to heal us in our bodies. And friends, as a church, I want us to start believing that. Because when people start believing that and they start worshiping God with that understanding of his compassion and his desire to, to manifest his presence and his glory in their midst, guess what? Things happen. People get touched. And I want to tell you that that has already begun. Because we have seen healings just in the last 30 days. And I want to encourage you to join me in entering in with eagerness into a new season of life for us as a church. Because if there is a an anointing, especially from the past, from what God did here, on this church's name, Good Shepherd, and on its life, if we tap into that and we begin to believe God that God wants to do that in our midst, we will see miracles. We will see healings. And when we see that, we will see a deeper revelation of the Father's love and we will grow closer to his heart and other people will want that too. And they will come and they will peer in the windows and say, what's happening there? Because I heard that people are getting touched by Jesus. Is that something that we can do together as a church? To pursue that with faith, studying together what it means from a biblical perspective to seek after the God who heals? There there are churches today in the U.S. who are doing this and who see miracles every time they gather healings of cancer, of hepatitis, of broken arms, of limbs. Amazing things. You just have to, you have to look for it. You have to look for it. I think that's a good time to pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're once again reminded of your mercy, which is that You don't give us what we do deserve. And we're reminded of your grace, which is that you do give us what we don't deserve. And you sent your son to lay down his life as a good shepherd and to bind up wounds and to heal the injured and the diseased and the exploited because you desire that your people would be whole and would see a manifestation of your love and your power in your presence in their life so that the gospel message that Jesus Christ died to save sinners would spread throughout this world. Lord, we pray that you would refresh the calling and the anointing on our church to be a place where the sick are healed because you're in our midst and we will know that. So Lord, now we turn ourselves, we turn our hearts over to you. You who are right now enjoying the eternal praises in the heavenly realms, we join our hearts and voices with them, O God. Inspire our singing this morning so that we may experience and be touched by your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.